I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. Today is part two of being Catholic with Megan Black. Megan Black is the national clergy organizer for Faith in Action, which is a multi-faith, multiracial network of faith-based community organizations committed to ending racial inequality and economic injustice in our communities. This week, Megan and I chat about the clergy sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. Megan shares a beautiful and raw poem she wrote about her experience walking out of Mass in response to how her church is handling their sins. I hope you all enjoy this super honest and emotionally stirring conversation. Here's Megan. So what's been going on? Like, what is happening in the Catholic Church right now? Uh, A reckoning, which is long (laughs) overdue. (laughs) Uh, So we're just dealing with, not just, that's uh, diminishing. Um, So the the church is is once again facing the consequences of its um, lack of leadership and inaction and its cover-ups and all of the corruption, the moral corruption we've had. Um, at the heart of our clerical bodies um, for decades now. It's coming up again, um, and it's sinking. It's, it's bringing in some, um, some of even Francis's, Pope Francis's people. Uh, so when Pennsylvania published this report after um, a quite an extensive investigation into the um, sex abuse, the kind of, uh, what do you call it, scale of sex abuse in, in, in Pennsylvania, um, they named names and um, once again pointed to just the uh, how horrifying the um, extent of the cover-up was by the Catholic Church um, and, uh, and how that cover-up, those attempts and efforts continue even to today. And uh, it was very, someone, I, I made this, I, we're going to get into the post I put on Facebook recently, but uh, one of my friends commented, he said, well, why, why now? He was like, this is not news. Like the, this, the church has been to this sex abuse scandal in the past. This is the same thing. Like, why are you so upset now? And um, it was a good question. I didn't really have a good answer for him, except that it was beyond disheartening to see that our, um, our priests and our bishops and our cardinals and to an extent um, even our pope still don't get it and that's what the the report by um in pennsylvania revealed and i think it's what the report that's now there's a a bunch of other states including my own missouri that are um opening another opening investigations into the extent of the clergy sex abuse um cover-ups and um we'll see what comes of them hopefully um it, this will just be an ongoing kind of wave of reckoning um, and hopefully, you know, head, heads will roll, although that's kind of a violent term. Um, but it, it was just this kind of like uh, come to Jesus moment where, where we had to come face to face once again with the fact that we are, have not done enough or cared enough or loved enough um, and um, that we have allowed our leadership to, um, serve their own interests and their own depravity um, and somehow manage to trust and love them um, without asking questions on behalf of those who've been victimized um, or even on behalf of ourselves. And um, so to see the 
our clergy still taking advantage of us in this way um, and exploiting the power that they have to see our own kind of complicity in this um, coming up again just sucked. <laughs> mm -hmm. It still sucks. Um, and I think perhaps even more, um, uh, I think perhaps the deeper than that even is this realization that something is really rotten. Like mm. that we thought maybe, I think the first wave, the first time around when all this came to, to, um, light those of us who stayed, um, thought, okay, well, we, this is out in the open now. We're going to deal with it. We can, we can find a way to move forward as a community. And, um, and now, you know, 20 years later, 10, 15, however, however many years it's been um, later, to see it come up again and to see the, um, the, these people who we've held in these positions, um, to see their own complicity in the way we've allowed it is this kind of like, it's a reckoning with this. Let me say this again. I think what it taps into is that there's this fear that what is rotten can't be fixed. Mm. And that's what feels so painful because we have to come face to face with the possibility that this can't be fixed, that, that we, the churches, we know it might die. Mm. Um, or might not survive this and maybe shouldn't survive this. Mm. And that feels really devastating and mm. really terrifying. Um, and I, you know, I tend to be a burn it all down type of person. <laughs> I'm in rise from the ashes. Um, and that's not, you know, that's still the case with this. And also it feels really painful to think about what it would mean for all of this to, to burn down. Um, so, so we are coming face to face yet again with the rot that we have allowed to endure, the evil that we've allowed to flourish in our community, and it's hard. Yeah, it is. It's devastating. Is a the pointed word there? Um, as an outsider, um, yeah. it just seems to me the problem is there's no women in leadership. And that's always yeah. been the problem to me that from the beginning of just learning Catholic theology as beautiful as it is, there's always a missing voice, a missing lens, and it's not equaled out. And we've seen just in our country, you know, when there are um, institutions who have male dominated leadership, the shit that happens, um, or could happen. Um, I think that's part of what's so infuriating right now is um, that every woman in the church knows that to be true and um, has like, been saying it for years. And the church itself, like the institution of the church, just refuses to even acknowledge that this is a possible solution. I mean, it's like we're banging our heads against the walls. We've been saying this for decades since before yeah. the clergy sex abuse scandal. Women have been saying, we need women in leadership. This is not, this is untenable. This is untenable. And every single time we do and are able to make enough of a ruckus to get a response from the Vatican, the response is literally, the words are literally, the door is closed. Like, like that, pope after pope, Francis has said that, 
I, JP2, John Paul II definitely said it. I think probably Benedict, literally they say the words that the door is closed on women's ordination, that exact phrase. And they've been saying it since the question has been raised. Um, and it's just, like, and what's, it's insane. What's striking, I saw a picture, you know, Pope Francis has called all, what, all the cardinals or all the bishops around the world to meet about this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's just a picture of him in a room of a bunch of men. And I'm just like, is no one else just outraged at, like, the men are causing the problems and they're the ones that are going to meet about solving the problem? Like, Mm -hmm. what? When Mm -hmm. when is that ever okay? Like, when do we ever do that in any other institution? Mm -hmm. I mean, I could say things about the NCAA and how it governs itself within schools is pretty terrible, too, but... But in terms of a, a gendered thing, it, it just blows my mind. We just don't see that anywhere else in the world um, to yeah. such a big extent, right? Like you don't see any Fortune 500 companies or massive universities or companies completely run by men. At least I don't, I'm not aware. Um, but I mean, what if, what if women did just all walk out one day. I always wonder that. Like if women like gathered together and were like, F this, we gone. Um, what kind of state would that would make? But like you've like you've so eloquently described, you're so in. Like you're so in it. And it's that's not necessarily an a good option. I think that um it can be hard for us to conceive of um because we have such an overwhelmingly democratic, you know, civilization now, um, or society, it can be hard for us to conceive of the, uh, like why women don't do that in the Catholic church, which is frankly not a democratic institution. I mean, it's one of the few that we don't have that we have that are, that are just avowedly non-democratic. And, um, and so, so yeah, like that would, that, that makes sense. And, uh, and if it were anything else, any other kind of institution, that would probably be a really viable um, option. And I'm not saying it's not viable for the Catholic church. One of the things though, that I came to appreciate when I did my trip abroad to talk to the women was that I think it's important, especially for American Catholics to just keep a perspective on is that the Catholic church is not an American institution. Like it's a, uh, it predates the, the United, like the country, <laughs> the United States that's of America really, and, yeah. and by thousands of years. And, um, and it has footholds all over the world. And so what we might do is one thing, but it's not perhaps what another, another um, Catholic community in, in the other part of the world would do. And, our theology, um, in our theology, we are, we are all the body of Christ, right? Like we, we are united in the body of Christ. And so, so there's like, there's this question of how do we move together as the body of Christ and how do we, um, how do we hear the spirit together as, as the global, as the universal Catholic community. And that is different from, well, and that complicates, I think, our kind of more democratic impulses of, you know, doing a strike, walking out, et cetera. 
So, but as an organizer, I'm like, hell yeah, like, <laughs> you know, what do we do? And I think that's the other thing that feels really painful right now is that I don't know how to organize my community the way that I'm able to organize other communities. I am mm. confounded by our hierarchical structure. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about um, just having a house church in my, I haven't been able to go to mass for weeks uh, since I walked out. And, um, so I've been talking to a few friends about what would it look like for us to have our own kind of Sunday morning liturgy um, at one of our houses to, um, to you know, bring the spirit among us and try to stay close to the sacraments. Um, but that brings its own theological conundrums. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> so, it does. yes, it does. Yeah. Well, do you mind sharing your, uh, your piece? You wrote a poem about your experience in mass a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I was just struck by it when I read it. This is, I think I had, I'd already emailed you about being on the podcast, but then you posted this and it just made me super emotional. Um, It's just a really passionate and I don't know. It just made me feel like I was there with you and I understood the weight of your theological questions. Um, So yeah. Yeah. I wrote this a month ago and I haven't been back to mass since. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that a little bit after I read this, but um, this is what I wrote uh, just a few hours after this particular liturgy. Mm -hmm. I walked out of mass today. They read a letter from the bishop about the sex abuse scandal. And because neither the priest nor the bishop were on their knees while it was read, I walked out because the bishop authorized his brother priest to say a mass for the forgiveness of sins during a Sunday in ordinary time, I walked out. These are not ordinary times. Why didn't the bishop also authorize his brother priests to weep, to fall down? Why didn't the bishop also authorize his brother priests to step down from the ambo and ask us to hold hands across pews and aisles and awkward and creaking, fall to our knees, and then lament with our bodies together the evil that we have visited upon ourselves. Why was it only words? Why is it always only words when we have a liturgy of blood and flesh? Mm -hmm. The creed began, but because my throat was choking on the words, I walked out. I was discreet, waiting until everyone stood, ducking my head, gathering my purse close to me as I walked out. I gave the usher a polite half smile, or maybe it was a grimace, as I walked out. The doors to the sanctuary, sanctuary for who, closed behind me as I walked out, and I took a deep breath where breath had been waiting, wondering when she might be allowed to re-enter the sanctuary. I walked to my car in loops, which is to say I was not able to walk a straight path to my car. My feet were lost to my disbelief. I walked out and I walked in loops until I reached my little car. I leaned my elbows on it and I cried because I walked out of mass today. Mm-mm-mm. Man, it still makes me tear up. Whew. It's just heavy. Mm-hmm. It was my first time um, kind of like actively protesting during the liturgy. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering that. I'm like, man, that, that's a lot. That's so much. Um, voting with your feet Um, yeah and also like I wasn't I remember it not being a protest at the time I remember it being 
I needed to leave that space. Like I couldn't breathe. It was, a, I physically could not breathe in that space. I could not see myself remaining for Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And so I left because I had no other choice. It wasn't, um, I didn't mean for it to be a huge, you know, protest. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a necessity. And, you know, people have been asking, you know, a lot of people thought my auntie, my auntie and my dad's sister called me. She was like, so you done, baby? You done with the Catholic church? You going to go Pentecostal again? I said, <laughs> <laughs> was so excited. I was like, first of all, I didn't realize you wanted me to leave the Catholic church. Second of all, no, I'm not done with the Catholic church, but I do think we should all be in penance right now. And it is kind of tradition for us when we are in penance, when we are doing penance to, um, remove ourselves from the Eucharist, right? Like we have to, we have to, we have to say confession and we have to be forgiven before we can reapproach the Eucharist. And I just can't see how we can take the Eucharist right now. Like our entire community should be on our knees. So how can we be carrying on with it as if everything is normal? It seems like a fast forwarding to forgiving when there's no lament like you said, there's no penance. Like there's no, like we need to acknowledge these sins. Yeah. Like we can't I think just... that's what was so disgusting to me when, I mean, I, there's the semantics of a, a, a liturgy for reconciliation is like, fine. But the idea that we could just jump straight to reconciliation, like the words there, mm-hmm. it just was so wrong. It was like, mm-hmm. we haven't even, we haven't lamented. We haven't, mm-hmm. we haven't asked for forgiveness. We haven't named the evil mm-hmm. um, in a way that, that compels God's forgiveness yet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Why is that so hard to do? Is there? There's got to be. There's language for that, right? There's a there's a liturgy for lament. Men. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, if this happened, and you don't see Becca Stevens just saying, "All right, guys," mm-hmm. you know, and I just use her because she's a. Mm-hmm. famous priest we both know but um and, i mean so to be a little more fair i think that i think people are afraid and i think we've lost touch this is what i get at when i talk about you know in that line in the this idea of a liturgy of blood and flesh like we've lost the potency of that and so i think it's i think it's partly that we just don't even know how to we don't there's nothing our liturgy should be not only teaching but like modeling how we do this but we've stripped it of its potency and its um ability to do that and so we're left with this kind of you know very ritualized formal um liturgical experience that doesn't actually connect us to the blood and the flesh Mm -hmm. and the you know like embodiment that's at the heart of of mass and you said that part it was just words and it's always just words Yep. and what it could mean to ritualize, which, which we've done in the liturgy bodily movements, right? Like that's why we stand and sit and kneel and all the things, but like, what, what are other ways that, and like you said, why didn't they fall over? Why didn't we, you know, cry like real things that signify we're in we're in lament or penance right yeah 
My uh, parish priest in Nashville, before I moved back to Kansas City, he gave me a, a book. He, called, he gave me the book Elements of Right by Aidan Kavanaugh, who's an Orthodox priest. It's kind of a, it's a very foundational, basic text on ritual theology. But it's a collection of essentially aphorism, where he, aphorisms where he talks about um, like just a few, like just ideas about what right, what right and ritual look like. And one of the things in this little slim volume one of the aphorisms is he said, no church should have pews in it. Pews suck the dynamism out of a space because they, they compel everyone to remain in place and sit in order. Mm-hmm. And the liturgy is like that. It, it gets in the way of us truly experiencing the liturgy and that idea that like we shouldn't have an Orthodox, um, many Orthodox congregations don't have pews. Right. Mm-hmm. And I find myself, I've just been so compelled by that ever since because one of the things I imagine is that if we didn't have those pews, if there was room for us to actually stretch out and lay down as we do during um, is it the Good Friday service, during the, the um, Triduum services each year for Easter, when the priests walk up the aisle and they lay prostrate before the altar yeah, at the initial about that. Of the service, yeah. we should all be laying prostrate right now. But we yeah. have fixed it so that we cannot engage our liturgy mm-hmm. in any way except for the prescribed way. Right. And we are in circumstances that are not prescribed, that we don't right. have an answer for. And all we know how to do is go back to this very prescribed way. We've sucked all of the dynamism and, and animation and spontaneity out of our liturgy. And, you know, I just, it, you, I feel the absence of it now in these times more than I ever have. Mm-hmm. I was and thinking, I want, I want more than anything to lie, to lie prostrate on a cold yes, stone floor. Yes. I was, that's exactly what I was thinking of too. Cause we do that in the Episcopal church during, um, or orders during, yeah. uh, becoming a priest. Um, that happens is kind of a, a huge symbolic embodied, mm-hmm. you know, ritual of kind of almost emptying oneself of like, this is, I'm giving my life to the church, to Christ, right? That's how I uh, see that move and how important that is. A whole bodily throwing yourself on the floor type deal. I mean, how else can you? humbly accept such a call and in the same way it that's a type of movement we need to do in time like you said in these times of peril and penance and distress and chaos what what else can we do but throw ourselves down and say god i'm sorry i don't know what to do anymore absolutely you know, I was telling you earlier that I was at um, Notre Dame this past weekend for a football game, for mm-hmm. the Notre Dame-Vandy f- football game. And, you know, I have a kind of a critique of football culture associated with Notre Dame, but I love watching football. And mm-hmm. I love going to games, and I love being in the stadium. And I, there was a, I was just thinking about this. I was in the stadium, I was watching, and there we got, we scored a touchdown. And I could see it coming. I was sitting behind the, um, the, uh, the goal. Like I was sitting right behind the, what do you call it? Oh my gosh. I'm losing my words. Touchdown Jesus. The poles. No, oh, no, no. Go, the goal, the goal, the goal post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was sitting behind the goal post and I could see the, um, the ball. Like we were steadily marching it down the field and I was like, Oh, this is going to be a touchdown run. We're going to, we're going to get it. 
And sure enough, like where we, I think he tosses it into the end zone. The receiver catches it, lands in. Oh no, the, the, the quarterback had run into the end zone. And there was this touchdown and I leaped out of my seat and I threw my hands up and I was like screaming. I was like right. freaking out in my right. whole body. I was just so excited. Right. That response that I experienced in that cathedral to American football should also be yes. like a, a response that I feel when I'm in cathedrals to God, right? Like yeah. we should be throwing our bodies into the air and shouting, and mm. not because someone got a touchdown, but because the Eucharist is in front of us. Yes. Or we should be on the ground prostrate because we have come face to face with the evil that we have created in the world. And mm-hmm. we don't, we don't have spaces for that anymore, except for in, or maybe we never have, but except for in places like stadiums and things like that, we've moved mm-hmm. our experience of God into these other spaces. Mm, Megan, that's powerful. What a powerful image to think about. Mm. Yeah. I also think a lot about how like gross, like how, how gross these things are, you know, like we, like, um, the, this idea of blood and flesh is nasty. Like, <laughs> it's funky. You know what I mean? Like, blood is not pretty. It is messy. And flesh is its own kind of, like, funky thing. And we all drink from these same cups in the Catholic tradition when we go mm-hmm. up to Mass. And we eat out of the same bowls. And it's just, like, actually kind of a grimy, visceral thing. Yeah. And instead we try to sanitize it and make, you know, and that sanitization spreads to the way that we interact with each other and to all, you know, all these things. And I just wish there was a way for us to be a little grimier as Mm -hmm. religious people, as people who believe in God. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just hungry for, for things to be, you know, down in the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) That, That feels where absolution, it feels like where absolution comes from. Yeah. Or just more true to human experience. Like I think that was one of my big critiques of, kind of the very ritualistic formal way we Episcopalians and Catholics do worship. It doesn't feel like you're in worship. It feels like yeah. you're at a, a funeral, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, totally. I, I think my church does a good job with our music. So there's a little more lively. Some people are putting their hands in the air and really, you know, singing and getting into it. But I mean, I think it was Lise Vallier who I interviewed yeah. months ago said like, we should be singing and cheering and dancing for the Eucharist, right? Um, but we don't. No. We don't. I mean, especially in white culture. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've ever been to a black Catholic uh, church or Hispanic. Mm. But, yeah. That's super, yeah. But um, just... There's so no actually, there's a, I think that's a really important insight because... Um, I have been to Black Catholic and the Latino Catholic services and just to Black church, you know, like to Pentecostal and Mm -hmm. um, Methodist, you know, and I think that there is something to the, the alignment of the Catholic church with Western imperialism Mm. and whiteness that has sucked a lot of that out of the room, right? Because Mm -hmm. for people who, um, for whom oppression is a very familiar and in, in, like imminent experience, their services are so much more, uh, so much closer to that feeling and so much more alive in that way. Um, because people actually need bodily deliverance in the way that we've kind of um, 
that in our you know dominant culture that bodily deliverance isn't needed in the same way all the time sometimes it is but even then we kind of sanitize it out because broadly you know we don't like we've got money and we've got power we've got privilege and all these things and Mm -hmm. so we just need god to be up here in this bowl that we can access when we want to when we need to and otherwise we contain it and control it Mm -hmm. and um that's a way in which power is maintained whereas in communities of color um and other oppressed communities the there's an understanding that power is not ours in the first place so we cannot contain it or control it and so Mm -hmm. there's this more you know openness to things being a little bit i wrote a paper about this in div school as well about Mm -hmm. um going to two different eucharist services uh pre-Vatican II, a Tridentine Latin, a Latin mass, and then a black Methodist service. And at the Latin mass, the altar had a physical gate around it so that Mm -hmm. no one could go up on it. It was very, um, it was a very prescribed space. Mm -hmm. And at the black Methodist church, um, people were just like regularly crossing the altar during the service, like just mm-hmm. kind of like walking from one end to the other. And it was such a different treatment mm-hmm. of that, that sacred altar space. And I just found it really compelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a side, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But to get back to wrap up this part, um, what, what do you think is the most, I mean, what, what can the Catholic church do right now? How can it get better? I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you mean by church. Like, um, Hmm. if we're talking about the institution, the magisterium, you know, our clerical bodies, they could go away. (laughs) I think think that would uh, make things better. A friend of mine is calling for all American bishops to uh, offer their resignation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I think that that is... A beginning, you know, um, but when it comes to the Catholic Church, like the, the body of the faithful, the people of mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. Um, I think finding a way to become close to the sacraments and, um, and to do penance and to lament and to draw near, to cleave to each other, um, and not only to do that, but also to find ways as lay persons and as um, children of God to hold our, you know, ordained persons accountable um, in liturgy and in practice in social form. Like, I, I think that's important too. And I honestly haven't figured out yet, like even what that looks like for me. Um, there's just... There's so much work to be done, but I am embracing, you know, Zora Neale Hurston. I've been thinking a lot about this. I mentioned her earlier. Zora Neale Hurston has a line where she says that um, darkness is, it, like she calls darkness a mothering darkness, right? That it is a womb and things feel dark now. And, um, and I wonder what it looks like for us to give birth to something totally new. Um, mm-hmm. that doesn't have, you know, to let, to let this thing die and give birth to something totally new. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Something we have to find together. Yeah.
Thanks again, Megan, for sharing your voice and story with our community. I hope everyone keeps our Catholic friends and family in our thoughts and prayers during this really volatile time for their leadership, but also for the families and communities who've had to deal with the effects of the cover-ups and the abuse by the church they love. As Megan said, these are not ordinary times, and we shouldn't treat them as such. Next week, I'll be featuring our first Jewish woman's voice, so get excited, y'all. It's going to be a good one. And as always, be sure to rate and review and subscribe to Theosophia on iTunes. Follow us on all the social media outlets and visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Theosophia and consider donating to this Labor of Love podcast. See y'all next week. Peace. Peace.